0: Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio Studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball.
1: Oh, hey there. Welcome in. It's Downtown, the podcast. Episode number 234. Rich Kimball here. Our Zone Radio Studios, along with Kerry Haskell, we're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Coming up this week on the program, uh, we'll talk with iconic ornament artist, Christopher Radko, who is back after 15 years of, uh, well, doing other things with his life, but uh, new ornaments and uh, all with a great connection uh, to what's going on in Ukraine and an opportunity to showcase and celebrate Ukrainian artists. That's a little bit later on. Up first, a young woman who Uh, took fans of the Great British Bake Off by storm. They fell in love with her on season 11. She had a deep run on the show. Now she got a brand new cookbook out called Baking Imperfect. As much of a delight to talk with as she was on the show, our conversation with Lottie Bedlow
0: here on downtown.
1: Hello, Lottie. Hello. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with
0: us. Thank you so much for having
1: me. Uh, You ask a question in your book... Does anyone even read recipe book introductions? I want you to know that I did.
0: <laughs> thank you. That that's one. That's one person. It was worth it.
1: <laughs> Just for me. Thank you so much. Uh, the yeah. book is an absolutely delight and uh, I so many things I love about it, but I think you had me at whiskey snaps. Yeah, that
0: they are good. They are very good. Very easy as well.
1: Well, the book is is so much fun and it reflects the personality that we saw on the great British uh, Bake Off. But your background is not like a traditional baker by any means. You've got a degree in science, a pantomime producer, but you've uh, said in other interviews that uh, for you, baking started as an escape. Is that right? Absolutely
0: right. Yeah, I was living in London in a tiny flat. I was working flat out as a theater producer and life is intense and i think that my escape was just going to my tiny tiny little cupboard kitchen and making what i could in there that tasted good that made me happy and then i could take into the office and feed for the actors and and the crew and and it was just yeah it was definitely an escape i never thought that it would it would become my career but here we are
1: (laughs) well and what we see in the book is uh, sort of what we saw on on the television show that Taste is the most important thing, and and it's okay to tweak recipes and find your own sense of what works.
0: Absolutely, and I think that's that's the most important thing. I kind of want this book to allow people to give, you know, to kind of give them the foundations that they need to to start off, and then I very much kind of encourage you to to take what you've learned and, and put your own spin on it, add flavors, and it won't work every time, you know. The reality is that it's a messy process, and and you will fail a few times, but it's about just enjoying that process and learning from it and remembering that it's it's only cake, you know, it's only baking at the <laughs> end of the day. Nothing bad's going to happen. It'll probably taste all right. So just get stuck in, really.
1: Yeah, and don't get hung up on perfection as long as you're having fun and, and the people who taste it uh, enjoy it as much as you enjoyed making it.
0: Exactly. And I think that that idea of the reason that I called it baking imperfect is because, Around baking specifically, there's just this, this kind of desperate uh, need to make everything look like the, the front of a patisserie shop window, you know. It's got to all look perfectly finished and, and have real finesse. And I think that, that, that in that, that's definitely an art, but I think that in that you lose the real joy of baking, which is the flavor, the love that you put in it, the fun that you can have. Um, and so, yeah, just trying to make sure that people remember, you know, who, ca- who cares as long as it tastes good.
1: We're talking with Lottie Bedlow here on downtown. Her new book is titled Baking Imperfect, Crush, Whip and Spread It Like Nobody's Watching. A whole lot of people were watching um, when you were on the Great British Bake Off. You didn't have the background that a lot of others have. Were you surprised when you got chosen for the show?
0: Uh, I was. Honestly, I thought they'd made a mistake. When the producer rang me, I said, oh, you must mean another lofty. There must be another lofty on the list. And she said, no, no, we, we're definitely sure it's you. And, and I just I felt so lucky. It felt like an accident, like some some, you know, there was a paper shuffle that went wrong and I ended up being on the show. But I was just so happy to be there. I, I only rehearsed properly for the first two two shows. So I was convinced I was going home after the second week. So I only packed enough clothes for two weeks. I had to borrow clothes from producers and runners and all crew members because we were in a bubble for COVID. So I couldn't get any clothes. So I had to. Yeah, it was. I absolutely didn't expect to to get in, let alone to kind of last as long as I did in
1: there. You've said, and I'm sure you weren't the only one to experience this, that you felt a little imposter syndrome at times that you weren't sure you belonged
0: there. Absolutely right. And and I think the most important thing was that on that first day when we met the other bakers who we were living with at the time, um, you know, I, I said, guys, I'm not sure that I, I, I belong here. I'm worried. I, I think all of you guys are probably much more experienced than me. And they all said, we feel exactly the same. So all <laughs> of us were in there thinking, you know, oh, no, I... You know, maybe this isn't maybe this isn't right. Maybe we shouldn't be here. Maybe they made a mistake. But when you're all feeling that it kind of adds to that real supportiveness that you see on TV when we're all just really rooting for each other.
1: Well, and it seemed too as the show went on, not only did you gain confidence, but you felt that you belonged there and you didn't seem intimidated by the whole surrounding.
0: No, I think I'm lucky that I come from a from a production background in theatre, so I very much approached it as if it was just a show. Uh, it was only when they kind of shouted action that I realised I was on the wrong side of the camera, but um, <laughs> it meant that I was very relaxed in the atmosphere, and I think you, you forget that the cameras are there because you're just so focused on, on what you have to do. and and your bakes and your recipes, and there's so much to remember that you just kind of you forget that then suddenly millions of people are going to watch that on TV. You're just worried about if your cake's going to rise.
1: Now, you took great inspiration from your family, and, and not just uh, those you're with now, but uh, back to your great-grandmother who was a baker.
0: Yeah, so my great-grandmother, who I never met, um, she died before I was born, but she left uh, an incredible legacy of a recipe book which has kind of been passed down through generations. And there's some amazing things in there that obviously reflect her wartime living. So there's a lot of rationed foods. There's a, uh, a bake that I've never tried. I'm not sure I will, called water pudding, um, which is just, I imagine, <laughs> is just made with water because there wasn't any other ingredients lying around kind of in wartime. But it's just to know that I'm doing something that, that she did um, many years before is a really lovely feeling.
1: You've also got the recipe in the book for a toad in the hole, uh, which you, of course, have made on the show, and then there's certainly a history there.
0: Yeah, so Toad in the Hole is a very, very British, um, kind of a warm comfort, comfort dinner food that we would have um, in the winter months. It's sausage and mash and a batter, um, which kind of uh, makes a Yorkshire pudding, which I know is, again, not a very British thing. <laughs> so I took all of those ingredients for Toad in the Hole, and I put it inside a Cornish pasty, Um, Just the kind of, it's really an amalgamation of of, uh, Britishness, I think, that bake in particular.
1: What's great about the book, too, is it it has your wit, uh, your sense of humor, your personality shines through the cookbook. And and I'm not sure we see that in a whole lot of cookbooks.
0: Thank you. That means a lot. And it was, you know, it was a year of my life. uh, It was, was, I wrote all of the recipes myself. And I think the really, really, what I really wanted to do was make sure that my voice was coming through in in the text so that when people read it they don't feel threatened at all by the recipes if they're scared I'm there to kind of hold your hand and say that I've messed this stuff up too you know let's learn from my mistakes and I'm kind of encouraging people to mess up have fun laugh at it and just remember that it's only case.
1: I'm not a great baker my wife is much better at baking than I am but I was looking through and I think I want to try Amelia's cake. Is that something I could handle as a as not a great baker?
0: Yeah, for sure. I think that if Amelia's cake is a great example, Amelia is my best friend and also manager. She helped me with the kind of the logistics of putting the book together and she had never baked before I went on the show. Uh, and so all of the things the baking that I, I basically challenged her and said, uh, let's see how much you've learned. I want you to write a recipe for the book so she is a completely novice baker and from you know trial and error she created that recipe i tried it out it tastes great um so that is absolutely one that you can try because it is from a fellow novice baker and and she she nailed it
1: you've been very open uh, about your anxiety you've gone public and talking about that did the experience of being on the show well how did that experience impact your anxiety
0: i think um, I was very lucky in that um, the, it was a very, very kind of loving and supportive environment being on set. And because we were in a lockdown bubble, we were there for six weeks with all the cast and crew. We couldn't leave. And so all of the, um, the production team were very aware that that would be an anxiety-inducing environment for anyone, let alone people who are already anxiety sufferers. And I think that there's a funny link, a correlation, between people who suffer with anxiety and bakers. Um, people who bake are often uh, struggling with anxiety because it is seen as something it's a place of escape. it's a place of calm. And I think that we were all just really supportive of each other and and I couldn't have asked for more from the team, but also from my fellow bakers were just so supportive. and yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a, it's a it was a real opportunity to feel as though I could be open and honest, and I wanted to be honest about it because I think there are lots of people who you maybe see on TV who you think have have their stuff together, you know they really kind of put it together, but actually it's important that people know that behind the scenes it's not it's not always as easy as it looks, but um if I can do it, then I want to encourage other people to kind of talk about it and be open about it too.
1: Now, I, I caught an interview where you were talking about uh, dating, online dating, especially uh, in the aftermath of being on the show. Uh, yes. Has that experience complicated things in the dating world? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's definitely made things more complicated. I'm very keen on having a video call with people before I meet them in person. Um, so there was, uh, there's been a couple of, of instances where people have been big fans of the show and I've ended up kind of, you know, chatting to them and they pretended that they have never seen the show and then I have a video call with them and it turns out they can't they can't look me in the eye because they're all very overexcited about, you know learning about the show and talking through some that. So, yeah, it's definitely as if this dating wasn't a minefield enough. It has made it a lot more complicated for sure.
1: <laughs> well, we certainly wish you good luck with it. I also have to say, that if you came up with it or whoever did, what a brilliant idea. I think every cookbook should use the cracked egg system to tell us how difficult oh, recipes are.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm very pleased with that. So cracked eggs, I wanted it to be really simple to look at. So you think, you know, how much am I going to mess this up? If it's one cracked egg, you can do it as a novice baker. If it's five cracked egg difficulty, that means that I struggle with the recipe and it's going to be a challenge for you.
1: Well, the book is wonderful. Baking Imperfect, crush, whip, and spread it like nobody's watching. Lottie Bedlow, wonderful to talk with you. We wish you good luck and continued success.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Lottie Bedlow, cooking up a storm with us here on Downtown The Podcast. When we come back after this word from Cross Insurance, artist Christopher Radko, next.
0: Cross insurance where security meets strength.
1: downtown, our next guest is known as the king of ornaments, the czar of Christmas present. Iconic ornament artist Christopher Radko is back with a brand new line of ornaments called Heartfully Yours. We had a chance to talk with Christopher about the new line and how his interest in creating ornaments was sparked. Here it is on downtown. Christopher, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Happy to be on your program. Well, you've got uh, quite a history, and I, I want to go back to the beginning, if we can, and, uh, and have you share the story of how you developed this passion for ornaments. And I understand it began, well, essentially with a bang or at least a crash.
2: It sure did. You know, I grew up loving Christmas, and we had a huge 12-foot Christmas tree in my parents' house. One uh, December, I decided to get a new tree stand. Uh, for this 12-foot tree but unfortunately uh one of the legs cracked and the entire tree came crashing down and with it you know destroying gosh over a thousand beautiful glass ornaments from my great-grandparents time and when my grandmother came into the living room she said christopher what have you done you know she was surveying the the broken ornaments, she said you've ruined christmas forever now
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: so that guilt drove me to to see what I can do to replace our family's collection. So I set sail to Europe and I found some old world craftsmen and glassblowers who were willing to make me ornaments to replace my family's collection. And I did some little sketches and designs for them. And when I brought them home with me to the States, all my friends said, gee, where are you getting these beautiful glass ornaments? Can you get some for us? And so that's how I started initially as a hobby. But then before I knew it, it became a full-time business. And It grew for many, many years. And I I sold the company about 15 years ago. And after doing many other fun things, I've decided I'm going to get back into Christmas and back into holiday design. So I started a brand new company this year called Heartfully Yours.
1: And you're doing this for such a wonderful cause, too, working with artists who obviously are struggling with the war in Ukraine. How did you make that Ukrainian connection?
2: Well, um, yeah, uh, actually, all my ornaments, they're all very much limited editions. There's no mass production here. They're all made in Europe in countries like Germany and Italy and Poland and the Czech Republic. But when the Ukraine war started, I realized and I knew that there were glassblowers in uh, the Ukraine who wouldn't be getting any work. So I reached out to, to small families that hadn't been bombed out. Um, so mostly in the central and western part of the Ukraine. So, indeed, I have an entire collection of Ukraine-made ornaments coming in. Um, actually, they're on a container right now, so they'll be hitting the stores this month. And, um, you know, people can find them on my website, uh, which is, you know, heartfullyyours.com. But, uh, yeah, the Ukrainian ornaments are gorgeous, and they're all glass, they're all mouth-blown. And I selected traditional Ukrainian uh, designs and patterns on them. So you'll see they're different than the ones from, say, Italy or from Poland.
1: Yep. And they are quite beautiful. And the artists in the Ukraine are, are famous for those beautiful hand-painted eggs. Exactly.
2: Well, that's where I got a lot of the, uh, you know, the ideas for the geometrical patterns from the pisanki. That's their Easter eggs. So I feel really good about that because this is helping those families put bread on their tables, so so I, I'm so glad I can bring those ornaments to this country.
1: And is it a Painted Beauties? Is that what the collection is called?
2: Uh, it's a subset, yes. Painted Beauties are a subset of my Heartful Years collection, and especially the ornaments that are made by these different Ukrainian families. Um, and you can see them on my website. You'll see that they're you know very, very unique designs, similar, if you will, to the old world designs that they use on the Easter eggs.
1: Christopher, what is it about Christmas ornaments that, that seem to give us that connection with our past, with family and friends, and, and that make them into such valued family heirlooms?
2: You know, it's, it's, it's a really great question. Um, I, I grew up loving uh, the Christmas tree and, and what it meant to being a centerpiece for, for the hearth and home. The glass ornament's pretty magical. Each one takes a whole week to make, and it takes a human breath to breathe life into every single ornament. And, uh, you know, they're all mouth-blown and hand painted. They're silvered on the inside with real sterling silver. So there's all this really, really old world uh, hand uh, hand craftsmanship that goes into making these. And when people buy them, they, they, they save them. They don't just throw them out the day after Christmas. They they, they give them as gifts. They pass them uh, down to their children and grandchildren. I I know. I'm certain that you know a century from now, you know the great great grandchildren of the people that bought my ornaments today will be. You know, of course, everyone will be living on Mars by then. But <laughs> they'll be enjoying my ornaments way off in the future because the ornaments they 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 are a, a tangible means of, of of containing the memories that, in a sense, are are intangible. But every time you Hang that ornament on your tree. You remember the Christmases gone by. You know, maybe the Christmases of your childhood or your parents or maybe when you got married and you started with just a, a, a small selection of ornaments or maybe when your children were born and you got special, you know, baby's first Christmas ornaments. So what happens is the Christmas tree becomes like a family diary and every ornament has a story to tell. So each ornament is like a memory maker. And, and and when you decorate your tree with them, it's like seeing old friends again.
1: Do you remember a, a favorite ornament you had as a child? I do. It was
2: a unicorn. And it was an ornament my grandmother gave me. And miraculously, it was one of the very few ornaments that survived the tree crash. So I'm very grateful for that. It's a glass ornament. It was made in Germany, a little silver unicorn. And I, I still have it today. I cherish it. But I think, you know, for different people, it's different themes. You know, sometimes if people are, are uh either they have a certain hobby or a certain you know sport that they're into or maybe a, a profession so then they might get an ornament that that matches that um some people like certain colors like i love the color purple you know santa doesn't have to only have a um a, 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 you know a red robe he can have a, a purple robe and that has become one of my best sellers because people haven't seen a, a santa in a purple coat yet so you know it's about diversity and different colors and designs but uh there's something really for everyone in the collection.
1: We're talking with Christopher Radko here on downtown. What's it been like for you getting back to creating ornaments after so many years?
2: I, you know, I'm I'm thrilled because people remember me from 15 or 20 or 30 years ago. I started my business in 1986, um, so it's been quite a while. The the original business, and I sold that in 2005, um, and and I did many other things. You know, I I, I when I sold my company, I didn't think that I would get back into this. So I was an event planner. I worked for Turner Classic Movies. I did special events. I was a lavender farmer. I grew organic lavender and had a, a spa line of soaps and lotions and candles. But, um, you know, I had a non-compete. And after the non-compete expired, I decided, hey, I, I still love Christmas and I still have a lot to say about, you know, beautiful ornaments. So I decided I'm going to start a, a smaller scale business. This one is is it's very much a boutique business called Heartfully Yours, and so I'm just the designer. That's you know the company name is Heartfully Yours, but I'm the designer, and um, it's so great to see uh, the collectors of the past come back and say, "Hey, we've missed you. We really are so glad you're back in this business. What you're creating is magical. It has that old, old magical feeling that that we remembered from you know the '80s and '90s when you were still designing." So it's it's i'm making you know i'm I'm revisiting with old friends stores that bought from me in the past but i'm also getting to make many new friends whether it's new stores or new collectors so it's great i feel like i have a a much bigger family now for for christmas
1: well and you were a favorite of so many people am am i right that uh, barbara streisand reached out to you and asked you to design ornaments for hanukkah
2: yes she did she she did um and and then when I, w- I was worried that I might upset someone, and so her assistant said, "Don't worry, if you if you if anyone gets upset, you you let us know, we'll take care of it." <laughs> but um, oh yeah, no, uh, Elton John is a huge collector. Bruce Springsteen bought an entire Christmas tree with the ornaments. Um, but you know, you know the famous models like Giselle Bundchen and and uh, oh gosh, the uh, 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 Chris Jenner and her daughter Kylie Jenner are big collectors. I mean, there's you know from all all ages all all walks of life um you know even in the old days uh, you know Catherine Hepburn collected them um Princess Diana in England loved them uh, uh Gregory Peck I mean you know from old time Hollywood to the youngster you know Hugh Jackman you know from X-Men and he's on Broadway of course with Music Men he loves them so I mean all the generations they it's and everyone that loves the holidays and loves Christmas and wants something really unique and 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 special and limited in addition they 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 appreciate these ornaments that makes me happy i never i mean my parents wanted wanted me to be a doctor so i'm (laughs) a long way from that you know if it really if it wasn't for the tree falling over you know it was a happy accident and and i made you know from lemons i made lemonade i it I'm, i'm so grateful to be in this work it brings joy to people in homes all over the country, places I'll never get to in person, and people I'll probably never meet. But I know a little part of my heart is on their Christmas trees this, this holiday
1: season. Well, And that has to be so fulfilling, especially as somebody who loves Christmas, to know how much joy you're spreading. Yes,
2: it, it, it really does. I feel that that's my calling in life. And, um, you know, I'm not, you know, 29 anymore, so this is really my act three in my life and and i feel like like i'm on the right track i feel like i'm doing what i'm meant to do um you know as i said i know the ornaments bring joy and a smile to people's faces they they cherish them uh and and i know they'll be passing them on as a as sort of a legacy collection to their children and grandchildren and great grandchildren so yeah i feel i feel i feel good about that i'm not not everyone can say they really love their work but i do for me every day is like play and you know, I, I don't have a Christmas tree up year, all year round, but I do think of Christmas year <laughs> round. And I, in, in a sense, I try to, to, to embody that holiday spirit year round, you know, keeping an open heart to other people. You know, remembering that we're all together on this earth and, you know, be as helpful and as you know friendly to people as, you know, because we don't always know what they're going through. So to kind of be compassionate and helpful to people, even when they're crabby or cranky. Um, I mean, there's so many ways to live that Christmas spirit year round. And that's definitely something I try to do every day. That's
1: great advice for all of us. The collection is called Heartfully Yours. You can learn more at heartfullyyours.com. Christopher Radko, it's been a real treat to talk with you. It's great to have you back uh, doing this again. And thank you so much for making time for us today.
2: It's a pleasure. And have a great holiday, everyone. And and, uh, check out my website. I think you'll get a kick out of it.
1: Thank you so much, Christopher. Be well. Merry Christmas.
2: Merry Christmas.
1: That's Christopher Radco talking about his new line of ornaments, heartfully yours. Our thanks to Christopher. Thank you to Lottie Bedlow and to you as well for joining us on Downtown. We remind you, we're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. We'll see you next time on Downtown.